Welcome to the Media Cat Magazine podcast. Thank you for tuning in for the next in our series, Rebel with a Cause, with me, Opal Turner. For this series, we are talking about the relationship between creativity and strategy, or in my other words, art, science, and logic. It is my pet theory that strategy and planning can be a creative secret weapon and that we overly separate the disciplines in our industry. Today, we are talking to the wonderful Ollie Scott, founder of Unknown and host of both the Dog Days and Untalented podcasts. So I'm very excited and slightly intimidated to have such a pro with us today. But thank you for joining us, Ollie. Welcome. You are incredibly welcome. It's so, so good to have you. I have obviously been listening to every podcast you've ever made. I'm um, expecting so- that. I want rigorous research throughout this whole... Well, interview. I'm going to start by stealing your intellectual property. Is that... <laughs> That's absolutely. You know what? I was really impressed with that. I was like, "Wow, someone's actually listened." I, I, I did listen, and I thought it was a, a fun way to get us into it. So I thought I'd steal a couple of your questions. I've only done three. I was like, stealing the whole section of the podcast is no, just unreasonable. So we've gone with three. So, Ollie, favorite brand right now? Oh, I'll just go really basic and just say IKEA. They're doing a really cool store thing that's coming up, which I know about, but you know. Cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, your career in a noise. One of my favorite other questions. Uh, okay. Reach for the star. Mountain for the star. Start again. Wow. That'll be it. That whole that was S Club Seven mixed with like Road Runner was a kind of like getting hit. Meep meep. <laughs> but the first serious question: Who was the first person to tell that you that you were talented? First person. So, uh, yeah, I did rehearse this one or rehearse or think about at least because I feel like it's quite a personal question to answer. But the first the first person I can really imagine is probably my second ever CEO. She was just like, she was an incredible lady. She'd come from like 1980s, 1990s recruitment, ran a fucking huge machine of a recruitment company. And I, I was kind of scared when she joined the business. And I kind of, I was very... I wanted to please her like in any way that I couldn't show that I was really hardworking. And it was really funny until I stopped trying all of that stuff and stopped trying to just like buy her a coffee or like make a joke and whatever. And when I stopped being like Jack the Lad or whatever, she, that was when she start, started to kind of say, I'm really seeing something in you. And that was when I was being my most real, I think. So her, her name is Michelle Watson, is Michelle, Michelle Watson. And yeah, that was when I was about 23 or four, just kind of turned around and was like, that thing that you did there where you were completely yourself. I was like, yeah, felt quite uncomfortable. She was like, no, no, but that's do do more of that because that's um that's who you really are. So oh, thanks. So yeah, Michelle. That's that's so lovely. Shout out Michelle for being an absolute legend. Yeah. Um so also just a great piece of advice to learn like somewhat early on in your career that being yourself is a benefit, not not, not an opportunity to mess things up as I think we often think they're like oh well if I if I, I show my true personality if I show my sense of humor they're going to think I'm an idiot and it's like no it just it does just show you're a human being and you're, you're allowed to do that 100% so now we'll get into it so our our theme for our theme for this month at Media Cat is side quests obviously okay. you can take this many away but could you tell us just a little bit about your journey to to starting Unknown and any side quests? So side quests. Okay, I'm excited about answering this one because my life and career probably wasn't very linear. And 
I also think uh, well, I'm not going to go back to early like school years. I'm going to go straight into like recruitment because it's quite a weird industry and you probably don't know much about it because this is a creatively focused podcast. So I think my first ever job in recruitment was doing software salespeople headhunting, right? So you call somebody up and like you have to get through the reception desk. And you have to be like, uh, you know, this is, you make up a name and you get the person on the phone. It was like boiler room style recruitment. So I, I did that for about five months, got fired. And then I went traveling uh, and then I came back and I was like, right, okay. I, I actually quite like the people part. Um, I had no university degree or anything like that, um, but I knew that I was good with people and talking to humans, as most people in recruitment are. Um, but I didn't find anything that was, you know, that software sales wasn't really turning me on. So I Shocking. came back. Yeah, no, who'd have thought? Um, I came back and I did, I think I did something like 19 interviews in like 10 days. I, I went and saw so many different recruitment companies. And then I came across this one that was, do you remember James Kahn, the dragon from Dragon's Den? I do. He, okay, yeah. So he he basically decided that, you know, I think he made half a billion in recruitment companies, mainly not in creative. Well, no, sorry, not at all in creative, mainly like IT and oil and gas and all those rank worlds like that. And he came in and he said, right, we've not, there's not been a creative recruitment company that has grown like a Michael Page or one of these huge behemoths. And there's no reason why that shouldn't have happened. So he started this company. I that was my like first ever real recruitment job post my weird one where I got fired. And I started there. And I do you know what? I fell in love with the creative industry and I fell in love with recruiting them. And that's what I did for six or seven years. I became the youngest board director there, and I was the kind of top performing human um in my whole time being there. And the thing I fell in love with at the same time was I fell in love with building teams and recruitment's known for being quite a salesy industry and I really mm. enjoyed taking like a, a non-salesy approach where you listen to people and you'd hear what they really wanted and um, that was kind of what made my team a little bit different we didn't do KPIs which are for creative people key performance indicators like how many meetings have you had how many interviews have you arranged how many blah blah blah, blah. Um, we didn't do any of that we did much more kind of like okay where can you be proactive on this person's behalf or can you be creative mm. about where they could go next? Because when you ask any candidate or any creative or strategy director where they want to go, you're going to get the top five agencies in London or Amsterdam, wherever you're working. And it's really boring because, of course, it's not their job to know where every amazing opportunity is. So you get the agencies that get shouted out the most or appear the most in campaign or the drama or whatever. So I, I really saw that as our USP as, as a recruitment company. We would genuinely spot opportunities that you wouldn't find in campaign and we'd explain to you the candidate why they were so interesting um and that's what we got known for i think my team got known for being like the guys that pull out an unknown opportunity um anyway seven or however many years into that i wanted to leave um i'd always known that i wanted to build a different kind of company i actually didn't know in what space i wasn't sure if i was going to stay in recruitment um i'd love the idea of just having a gang of people, a very small gang of people doing cool shit, whether it's in a creative or product space, whatever, I thought that'd be really fun. Um, so I left. Uh, story about leaving, but I won't bore you with that. That's that's another funny one, but we'll do that another time or if the, if the moment comes up. Um, and basically, we, we ended up, um, sorry, I ended up thinking about starting a whole load of things. And similar to you, in a very, very similar way, I decided to start a podcast at the same time. 
being very honest, I, I got a bit depressed when I I'd left this job, right? I had a team, I had like people reporting into me and you have a sense of identity when you work in one of these businesses. And then out of nowhere, I didn't really prepare for the bit that was super lonely. Um, you didn't really have a direction. You know, the idea of freedom is so attractive to someone that's got to go into the office every day for eight and leave at six. And then when you've got no one calling you, no one emailing you, it's suddenly really fucking depressing. <laughs> and it's just generally terrifying. Yeah. Because you've like you've lost your community in a way. Like yeah. the community is it sounds like your community is what what really powered you on and and what you loved about that role and and what you do now yeah. and then you left it totally. to a degree and and you kind of you know you're angry at the system at that point so you're you're doing it for all the reasons that you and this is what i'm going to come on to when you ask about um side side quests quests i was in hustles but i like the fact we've changed that um because had i have known the information i know about side quests when i launched the three businesses that didn't work um when i left gemini which is that place um I, w I wouldn't have wasted probably as much time as I did. Um, and I think the question that anybody should ask themselves when they're thinking about starting a startup is which part of me is this lighting up? Is it my ego? Do I want status from this? Do I want to appear and gain followers? Is it money? Um, you know, do, am, I, am I doing this for financial freedom? Is it location freedom? Is it that you want to be nomadic and have no strings to an office or a country? Um, or, you know, there are creative, whatever. There's, there are so many reasons to do something. And I didn't ask myself any of those questions. I just, I think if you'd asked 25-year-old Ollie at that point what he wanted, he wanted validation probably more than anything. Mm. And, and probably connectivity with humans that belonged in his tribe, not that he, you know, because I think in a recruitment company, there are loads of people that you wouldn't perhaps pick to be in your tribe, but you live with them and... You know, like any tribe, it's a bit dysfunctional. But I, I think if you'd asked me back then, I would have wanted to start my own tribe with people that were like-minded. But I didn't ask any, myself any of those questions. And I built a brand that I knew would work for the creative industry, and that was unknown. But it wasn't, for me at the time, I put so much love and effort into building that. It became, I wouldn't I would say a labor of love, it became quite painful work because it was... Mm. It was so theoretical. I couldn't, long story cut short, I wasn't allowed to talk about unknown for six months because I had these legal thingamajigs. Joy, so I was doing ollyscott at gmail.com sort of thing and no one was taking me very seriously. So I was, it was quite, um, that was A, very depressing and B, um, it kind of made me question whether I wanted to do this thing. Like, am I as because you go on all these podcasts, right? And that's what I was doing for connectivity with humans. I'd listen to podcasts and I'd flood my brain with all these, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk and all these entrepreneurs that were like, yeah, I slept on my sister's couch, but I just knew. And everyone out there that seems to have been successful in the entrepreneurial space has like gone through the shit times. And they always glamorize how hard these shit times and they were, they were on the streets and they were borrowing money, but their passion was so strong. And I, I remember listening to these podcasts going, I don't think my passion is that strong. I don't think I care this much. You know, I love what I'm saying and I like what we can offer the creative industries. But if I get killed today, no one's going to go, oh, who is going to move unknown talent around? You know, no one gives <laughs> business, right? No one gives a fuck that much. So um, anyway, so I kind of, I was, I was constantly questioning myself. And because of that, I started a podcast. Shock horror, who hasn't started a podcast, right? Um, we live. And, <laughs> my ankle at, the, at that point was okay if you go on to any 
podcast right now, you're going to get the same story arc. Was good, then was bad, then was good, and now I'm great. And you can do the same thing if I can do that thing. Right. And that's not because I don't think it's like that. And like I said, my life hasn't been linear. Neither has my career, neither have the business that I've set up, you know. And so I thought, why is there not a podcast that's out there that offers that? Right. Tell me about the dog days. Tell me about a time in your life, which should be now. I want to hear about now where it it went really well. They went really badly. And now you're kind of not sure what to do next, because that not sure what to do next. I genuinely believe is probably where. 75% of people are sitting because if you're ambitious or if you're unambitious, you probably haven't got much of an idea about where you want to go next (laughs) either way. Right. Or you've got this really long-term goal of this is, this is my ideal. This is my 10 years from now, but how the fuck do I get there from tomorrow? Totally. That's it. And and I, I think that was kind of, I wasn't just, and we didn't gain a huge following with the dog days. It's been, it became much more of a passion project. We interviewed 50 people and, it was great and we loved it, but it, you know, we weren't, the minute we started to do it for growth is when it became really uninteresting, right? Mm-hmm. The minute we started to kind of, originally the first 15, I was genuinely curious. And that's another thing I was going to say about side quests. Don't, don't even think about writing a purpose. So it sounds great to an investor. Don't even think about writing a goal or a hag, whatever the fuck they want to call it, where, unless you really, really care about that thing, because Again, at that time, if you read books like Simon Sinek, Golden Circle, you'd have all these people saying to you, it starts with the why, what's your why? Like, think of the passion, think of the the thing. And so I was quite a confused mid-20s person, sorry, 25-year-old. I wasn't born in the mid-20s, it might look like it. Um, but as quite a confused 25-year-old, I was going, but I don't fucking know if I'm passionate about these things, but I'm being told if I'm not, then it's not worth starting. Mm. And that's so binary and not true. I you need to see and you need to try things out, but you do need to be quite quick to realize when things become painful. Anyway, so that was my quest for the first 15 interviews. It was to really work out like what kept these guys going, you know, when do they know it wasn't the right thing? Um, and then, you know, what, what how are they going to navigate out of this really awkward place that they're in now? And it's funny, some of them quit and they they gave out the thing they were talking about and it's me and my old co-host look back and go oh my god imagine if that thing would have worked i can't believe we, we were even thinking it would but because the, the founder was so believable you'd be like you know you're sort of bought into their vision mm. um there was even we had george rawlings on at that time the, the founder of thursday the dating app yeah and and again he had a thing called honeypot and it was about cramming single people into a, a bar uh, and getting them to do microdating, and we were like that's cool it's a nice idea but the world didn't ask for that and the world definitely didn't need it and the world didn't keep on needing it because he rebranded and made it all about thursday right? right so but again it was cool we interviewed someone that was kind of unsure wasn't going to raise any money and then you went oh, i've got it it's thursday so we met people that were at that point of their side quests or main quests as we call them um and i kind of i realized as i was doing that as I was doing that at the same time, Unknown was the only thing that was making me money. Um, I was suddenly able to go out to the rest of the world and speak about it, which was huge. And that, that was a thing that I just really, I underestimated. I, you know, I kind Must of- Must have been such a relief. Oh yeah. I remember I threw a party in a pub and anyway, it was a launch party and it went down really well. And I invited 112 or something people and 110 turned up. And I think the only two that came with my mum because she's scared of London. And then like probably somebody else that I didn't even know were coming. So that felt really nice. And I think as somebody that is a natural people pleaser or 
um, a codependent or whatever you want to call me, I really needed to see other people in the industry just turning up and going, this sounds like a bit of fun. You have our support. I'm not a client. I'm probably not even a candidate, but dive in and, and, and you know, good luck to you. That was really important. And I think um, if you're a fan of books and uh, Malcolm Gladwell in particular with his book Outliers and the piece of um, the piece in that book from Malcolm Gladwell was when he said or spoke about the importance of early uh, encouragement and early belief, self-belief. Like, is there, you know, why do kids that are born earlier in the year become better basketball players? Because they were taller than the rest of the year. So therefore, competition was lower and they, they felt better about their abilities. Having somebody early on blow mm-hmm. on your kind of flints as you're kind of trying to make fire start, I, I can't explain how important that is. And it's not necessarily you know, these these kind of things that you often hear in, you know, those podcasts that you're talking about in where everything's rosy and it's a straight line and complete narrative arc. It's not this person offered me a job or this person gave me an internship or this person sat me down and, you know, talked me through what I wanted in life or whatever. It can literally be like you start talking about something you're passionate about at work or in the pub yeah. and someone goes, that's really fucking interesting. You should do something with that. And that can mean everything yeah that's super important i think and i and i again i underestimated the importance of that i think people would imagine side hustle people or founders of businesses to be these kind of megalomaniac uh self-believing elon musk no one is going to say i'm wrong it's not true you 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 think of an idea i mean me in particular i guess um will think of something and i want to bounce that off people's brains to be like do you what do you think because if if I don't get 10 people saying this is a good idea, I probably shouldn't pursue it. Speaking of which, <laughs> um, as I was doing this quest of podcasting and, uh, you know, recruitment business, Unknown was bringing me money in. I didn't really think about this, but Unknown was pretty much the only reason people were taking my calls. Mm-hmm. Um, but I told myself that it was this other thing that I created. Welcome Rank. Um a friend of mine, Elliot Starr, women won't mind me mentioning his name. We we fucking fell in love with this idea. Okay. The the insight, because you're a strategist or a strategic creative or a creative strategist. I like what you say. All about of the that. above. Very good. If you are one, you should be the other. Um when we we had a bit of a thing. There was a company called Athletic Greens, right? And if you'd ever bought this powdered greens thing, it, you'd find out it tasted like shit. And right, most of these things do. But the human insight bit was maybe people don't mind things that taste like shit if they're good for you, right? Does bad taste good. Sorry, taste bad, does good. So we've got a thing here. And I was like, well, why don't we... Basically, my only input really to this thing was that we're going to call it rank, right? Elliot did everything else. He came up with the fucking breakdown of the nutrients. We pulled in like a full-blown nutritionist that helped around heights and come up with the heights formula for the for those little magic pills that you take um anyway we, we we took it really seriously right and everyone that we'd speak to annoyingly because they were in advertising and they weren't entrepreneurs that sold actual products to people that buy them advertising went oh that's fucking genius that that is now that is a really good idea and there is this kind of thing in adland where it and you can see how campaigns for the ad industry get born right because mm-hmm. 
Dave down the pub goes, yeah, and then we're going to get him to fucking like knock out a nan, right? And how funny would that be if like, you had like, I don't know, Johnny Vegas knocking out his nan. Great They example. all laugh, right? Because that is ridiculous. You shouldn't have hula hoops getting Johnny Vegas to knock out his nan. But somehow, because everyone said it was really funny, it goes ahead and happens. But mm-hmm. that was rank. And, and that was quite a bit of my money that I didn't really have to spend. Because <laughs> um, I would, I got the validation, right? And again, if you ask me, if I'd asked myself, what do I really want out of this? It was probably an that was like an idea for a creative portfolio. I, I would have loved to have seen a campaign go live where people were drinking something and they were like, that's so disgusting. It must be good for me. That's probably what I wanted. Yeah. But instead, I ended up finding investor numbers, gathering rooms of people. There were some really kind people that gave a lot of their time for this stupidly shit idea. And we... <laughs> <laughs> I beg to differ. I think it's a great idea. It's not necessarily the best product. I Agreed. Do. But again, how do you ask me those questions around SideQuest and whether people should do them? Yes, 100%. That made me value the stuff that my clients were doing for our knowns perspective. And it, it makes you value. Do you know what the main thing is and why I would really recommend anybody, if you can, having some kind of side hustle or interest in it or SideQuest, um, is you you understand the importance of commerciality and capitalism, which is kind of fucked. But if it's not going to sell, then it's art, right? If it's not going to sell some sort of product, then it is It is just art, really, isn't it? Which is fine, but that's a different realm and there's a whole different culture surrounding it, etc. And you get that a lot of, you know, a lot of things in the creative industry, you see these brilliant ideas that are art, they're not products. But because the only route we know when you have an idea is okay then you do that and you sell it and then da, 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 da. then it ha- these poor creatives that just wanted a nice idea to live somewhere end up going on this huge quest of time and and maybe it's not time wastage but a lot of the time these are things that probably weren't ever going to make it in the in the real life day if the person asks before they go on this journey what do i want out of this journey if it is a creative endeavor then can i see if i can get the same feeling that i'll get in half the time than if I was to make it a commercial endeavor. If it is a commercial endeavor, does it need to be this creative? And do I just make that what everybody else wants to buy, aka rank? Let's just call it athletic schmeans and just fucking pile it on Amazon and just get in there really quickly. Do you know what I mean? If it's a money, if it's a money move, then you ask questions that you probably won't ask yourself if it's a creative endeavor. Yeah, for sure. And it's so it's so interesting that you say about um it depending on the world that you're in at the time, because my first role was in startups and in brand building and creative and advertising and strategy. So I kind of always thought, I guess, to a point, which is why part of the reason that I do this podcast is because that's, to me, all these things live in total harm. Like, well, not always in harmony, but they do live together. Um, and they make sense and success comes from when they do work in harmony. But you're absolutely right. Like there is just different questions that you need to ask yourself depending on what you want to achieve, but also where you are. Like we need to we need to learn to question ourselves maybe a little bit more. And I why we, I mean advertising. <laughs> just saying. Um just a, just occasionally, just let's go. But does the world really need really need that does it add anything 
No. Okay, then maybe just take a day off. Just take a day off. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And if it it is for someone, is that who we're actually speaking to with this piece of work? Are we actually speaking to the people we're intending to speak to? Because, just saying. Anyway, so all of that took you to the glory that is unknown. And one of my favourite things about unknown as soon as I discovered, discovered you is there's such a clear point of view. Like as a brand... It has a clear point of view and perspective and place in the world. And one of the one of the things that you have on on your about page is what I would call a manifesto, but that's because I'm me. But it looks like a manifesto to me. And one of the lines in it is most who claim to want breakthrough creativity keep looking in the same places and judge people's potential only on their past achievements. And what I took from that is that part of what we need to do to make this agency uh, this agency landscape this comms world this media world you know less quiet quitty and burnout city type scenario is to reassess how we value people and kind of potentially put more emphasis on skills than experience but i'm i'm i would love to know what you had in mind when when you were writing that and 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 when you kind of sat down and thought okay what are we trying to do when you did realize that you needed to figure out what you wanted to do yeah. So one of the things that I think we did, that I'm pleased that we did, is put the talent ahead of the client. So a lot of recruitment companies that found uh, or whatever manifesto they write, it's normally for the person that's paying the bills, and that's the client. Who, by the way, never fucking go on your site or ever get as far as reading the manifesto page. They just send you an email and they go, I need a now, so send me one. So we always thought, I want to write for the talent, and everything that we did really was around how talent weren't feeling listened or heard you know in 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 the industry and so when i when we i guess mentioned the whole looking for potential rather than looking at the past it was much more around agencies questioning themselves as to whether they've designed the environments to get the most out of those people because there wasn't a lack of desire for those people there was a lack of fitting them into what they were selling which was their brains <laughs> so we we wanted to kind of write that as a, you know, you know this is the right thing to do, but at the same time, when you do get this unicorn person that you're looking for, are they going to stay or are they going to quiet quit? Because every single time, and it's funny, we wrote that, that that's had like three versions of it because at the beginning it was a lot more aggressive. It was like, you haven't done this, you never were. It was almost a bit too shouty, right? And I, And people were kind of getting a bit annoyed. Talent loved it. But clients and agencies and brands were like, do you just send postmen or like who, what kind of people are you sending to these jobs? And we were like, no, no, no. What we're trying to say is we'll send you 75% of the people that you were expecting to probably see. The promise is that we were going to get 25% of what the fuck, where where do they come from? And that's interesting. And these are the people that will future-proof your agency, right? So that's the... The strategic creative that doesn't really want to sit in either but if you tap into what she wants then she'll do an amazing job for your business this is the art director that also designs fashion clothes and works at days and confused or you know whatever for a little bit but currently sits in at the and partnership making work for talk to whatever they understand commercials they understand fashion and they're this strange blend of a being and that's what we wanted to create we wanted to get more people to get excited about what made them unique and different and less people trying to sound like everybody else. And everybody for about 10 years said they were an integrated creative, which was 
so strange because it meant no one was an integrated creative and it meant what the hell is an integrated creative i so, still don't know no i don't know i think it's meant to be like your idea can go across tv and digital and it's like well fuck yeah you'd hope so you would so, fuck it's called a good idea but yeah so we wrote that manifesto to pull out those people to kind of believe that being unique is still what the advertising and creative industries wanted them to be and also to encourage clients to look for the unknown to ask somebody what do you do when nobody else is watching what are you doing you know if there wasn't a brief or if you had to create a brief what would you do because like you said okay it's important to say i'm not saying what did you it's what would you do because if we based everything on all the shit briefs that you've been given, on all those placements, on everything that you've done, it's not fair because your access to those things is so different to a another that's doing the same circuit as you. They could have been in the right place at the right time and they got the right brief. So is that a fair way to assess somebody, particularly at entrance into the industry? No, not really. It's a much better idea to understand where their brain goes with possibility and potential rather than previous experience um so that's what we wanted to do and that's that's where we i think became quite popular with the creative industries and i imagine i mean just off the top of my head i feel like i would love to know if this is true or i'm just making wild assumptions but i feel like that would have an effect on retention as well like because you're 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 basically just being a bit more fucking humane about putting people in spaces that will give them the oxygen they need to grow as opposed to kill their passion for whatever it is they do. And so, you know, you're inherently putting that extra time and loving energy into in, into that. And also I, I imagine, and from my perspective of being a bit of an unconventional creative team, you get so much more kind of loyalty and love yourself as well as, you know, um, from the candidates in in the placements that you put them just by having that sense of humanity around it instead of seeing them like a number like a lot of a lot of companies still do yeah i think loads of agencies don't want to do that i think it's also fair to kind of have empathy for them because what ends up happening is they get to a point where they need to hire somebody really quickly and they want to be able to tell their boss that they went for the most obvious person that had a little bit of an edge but not too much of one mm. the work doesn't get done so that ECD or CSO or whatever person will always go for the 95% right person so long as they've got something else that they can kind of talk about and I that's fine I understand why people are doing that but at the same time a lot of these people when once they join that agency realize okay you brought me in I'm 95% right you sold me on this thing that I could do let's say it was illustration or if it was you know whatever um any of those things coming up oh no no no. we kind of mentioned that to you because you know we do them you know, once every two years or so. so they and i feel bad because both sides didn't really want that to happen but it kind of knew it was going to mm. and we've seen that's probably the most popular thing that we see is tell me about your side hustle in the interview stage and never talk about it again once you join my business and i think that's been the issue now the good news is that I really believe if there was a bridge between all of these opportunities and agencies, which I'm hoping one day will be unknown in its pretty efficient way, that we'll be able to find these very strange courses for horses. 
It's just a matter of matching them up and listening to what they really, really need and want. Because, and I, that's why I think we're seeing so much quiet quitting. It's why we're seeing so much panic hiring, panic firing. It's because people have been brought in in a panic and they've been mismatched up to roles because they weren't truly listened to or interviewed. The person that was hiring thought they, they, they would look cool internally if they brought this person in. And then because what they're selling doesn't match up to what this person's passion was, they become really upset and they leave. So the issue is they just haven't been connected enough on a wide enough scale to find mm. things out there, all the agencies and brands that hopefully they can work out. Yeah, because I mean, I think I think that's the thing that that most people, I imagine, in the industry find frustrating is is this talk the talk but not walk the walk kind of mentality around hiring, but around a lot of different things that I won't go off on a tangent into. Yeah. But um, but around hiring, they're like, love that you do this, love that you're an activist on the side, but don't bring any of that thinking to what we're doing here because that's yeah. not what we do. And it's like, well, actually, I'm a whole human being shock horror so i i actually can't necessarily separate all of those parts of myself into the little tick boxes that um but that's that's exactly the kind of reason that i was so excited to to get you on and to get your kind of like talent and recruitment um thinking on this on this podcast for obviously personal and professional reasons because if you couldn't tell um like we i've experienced it you know for for context my my partner and I were applying for roles for over a year um, as a team, maybe even more than that, before we got our current position. And we we finally got in front of one CD. And this was like two years ago. And he told us that we were too junior for a junior role. And bearing in mind that we hadn't worked as a team, but had worked for over five years by that point, yeah. it was pretty fucking killer. And all because we didn't tick those those usual boxes you know that we didn't follow that typical trajectory of the creative team um despite you know working in some like in in a lot of ways we got really fucking lucky along the way like working in some incredible places with some incredible people but regardless of those skills of those people we'd learned from the experience didn't fit into the box that people were expecting it to be and so it just makes things very tricky. Anyway, my, making that natural question instead of just going on a rant about how annoying that still is to me even now, because <laughs> um, it is really, really annoys me. Um, I I think we can agree that that point of view is somewhat dying out, somewhat. Yeah. But why? What do you think the sticking point is? Why do you think it's taking so much time? Because we have, as we say, got to that point where we we know that we need to talk about the fact that we need diversity, we need different points of view, we need diversity of thought, we need diversity of experience. But it seems that there's still um, some kind of sticking point in, in putting that into action and then using it for, for real success. Do you have, do you have a point of view on that? Yeah, I just, I think it's what you're selling and, you know, Measuring what matters, to be honest, because if you think it, nothing is going to really change unless, okay, you've got one party that are unhappy. And I would say that's anybody that is junior entering the industry right now. You've got the other part that are like, what the hell? These guys are so, so entitled. I did five years of placement circuits. You call that a fucking portfolio. At that point, I had like da-da-da-da-da. So you get the comparison thing going on at the same time, right? 
of these guys that are like, and they mainly are, <laughs> um, you know, I, you have no idea how easy you have it compared to how I had it. You get a therapist, you get to work from home. Oh my God, if I got, you know, there's, there's this problem, right? And that is the divide between these people that have just had to get on with it and have these hard lives in their eyes. Uh, and then these people that are just these like entitled, uh, you won't give me a job, you're a dick kind of people. The problem is they're not listening to each other. And these people want these people, I'm sorry, it's a podcast, an audio podcast, not very helpful. The the dudes that are hiring want the dudes that are trying to get the job to just be like them when they were younger. And the problem with that mentality is that so much has changed, not only the way the industry works, it's nowhere near as simplified as it used to be. You've got TikTok, you've got everything now that's like pulling everyone's attention. It's not as simple as writing a good beer ad and putting PK in it and making the nation laugh in between a football game. It's not like that anymore. So these guys have this kind of simplistic mindset. And that's why when you get this, oh, you're you're too junior, they're expecting to see the, the lengths of work and the lengths of kind of like effort that someone would have gone in to get into the advertising industry that would have happened 30 years ago when the the problem is people aren't even sure if they want to be in this industry anymore and let alone make you a debt i remember hearing all these stories about an ecd getting a desk sent to them being like you know from a junior creative team right they got this desk and it said you got the desk now you just need the creatives give us a call if you want us to be there right it was a genius idea didn't get the job right? <laughs> didn't get the job but it was a nice it was a great idea I think they actually did get hired after they were on their placement, which is which is interesting. But anyway, answering your questions, I think they're expecting to see so much more effort and work in portfolios than they than they are currently seeing. And that's where that comment about not being junior enough is. My my issue is that if they remain that way and don't look for the potential, they're never going to be happy. And whoever they do hire won't stay with them for very long because they'll go on to better things. Yeah. So, that's that's the issue and the only way of that person the ecd or whoever it is that's hiring understanding how to get better is by redesigning their environment so whoever does come in feels watered i heard this lovely um what's the word metaphor about a garden right having having talent is like a little garden with loads of different flowers and sycamore trees and maybe and they the all need different around. things exactly they don't have the same it's not the same water which it, the water used to be two minutes of my fucking time reviewing your shit ideas and believe me you'll feel their shit when you leave my office goodbye that was that was the water that every plant drunk in 1990 adland and that was an acceptable water to drink now it's very different because you can't make up whether an idea is a good idea that quickly anymore most of the time and it, people do take time and they they hear things differently now and there's always there's there's a lot more nuance to life so i'm not sure if it, i am optimistic about this because i i think leaders in creative industries now are getting fed up and confused as to why people are either not joining their agency because they didn't feel love or leaving because they didn't feel empowered and i think What's starting to happen is people are looking inside and going, okay, on both sides, right? How can I make myself enjoy my work more is really important that Opal asks herself, what do I need? What are my needs? You know, I've mentioned validation, money, all of those things that make you a working human that takes money and puts it into your account for doing an exchange of labor. Mm. Which are the bits that light me up in my day to day? And on the same time for the person that's hiring the person, what can I give this person? What are their needs? Can I manage somebody with those needs? 
they're asking for for recognition status and a good pay can i offer those three things they want autonomy am i the kind of manager that can give that away or am i the sort of manager that wants to do the work for them and tell them to go complete what i've started that you know so it's it's self-reflection i think on both sides what do i need and then what can i give yeah no that's such a good point and i would love to i mean i haven't done an interview in a while but like i would love that to be like a normal interview question like what what do you think makes you feel really empowered at work what could i offer you as a manager that would make you feel um safe to give your point of view in a room because it is different for every person and like especially when it comes to marginalized people like they we need different things like i'm sorry but we do we need different things all people do anyway but especially especially marginalized folk it's it's by definition somewhat outside of what we've made the norm yeah what what we need and if we don't have that conversation early on surely we're just setting ourselves up for pain do you know what it's it's funny because everyone thinks it's a really hard task to kind of go on this understanding each other really well i think it's probably one of the biggest things that people haven't done very well in I think in most industries but also in managerial positions and I, I never wanted to grow bigger than 10 people five people really in the, in the early days of unknown because I didn't know if you could learn that much about that many people I was like okay I think 10 is my max so I, I don't know if I I'm can only handle them. 10 that's all I've yeah got. yeah well I, I jet because my fear was what happens when I don't know what their needs are and what happens when they, you know they can't communicate them because the company's too big and that's why we've always said I don't want to get bigger than 25 people because I don't know. I, maybe things would have changed by then and we'll think of different systems and structures. But one of the things that I, I do, particularly with this new generation coming through, the lost generation, whatever they get called, um, I have someone that wouldn't like me to say their name, but I'll mention what, what position they were in. Um, but they're in a position where they didn't know what they wanted out of their career. They were they're very ambitious, very motivated, very everything you can imagine, very capable you know, you can have someone that's super motivated, but just quite shit. And, and you don't want that. But this person had everything and, and you know, had, was felt loved and felt really clear on, on what they were there to do. But for some reason, couldn't work out what they wanted to do next. And actually, that was damaging their, what they were used to was a very high level of output because they were like, well, what's it all for? And they got that kind of like nihilistic point of view where it's like, why the fuck am I here? And so we did this really interesting exercise, which I would say, for anybody that is feeling unheard is a really, really helpful exercise. And this sounds very basic, but bear with me on this. Love a bit of radical okay. simplicity at the moment. Here we go. Okay. So I said, and it wasn't my idea I got off my podcast, but hey, maybe someone will listen to this one day and they can pass on this genius wisdom. Um, I said to them, go away and every single day you're going to write in a little journal just three points. Okay. Number one, what drained me today? What was the one thing that fucking drained? I just ate when, I, when it was happening. Number two, what lit me up? What made me feel good? What made me feel valued? Whatever term works with you best. Um, and then number three, what did I learn about myself today? And the reason why you do it for 30 days, every day, even on weekends, right, is because as humans, we're we're quite dumb. Like, <laughs> we see... We, we, we like let's say if we did a, your review is tomorrow and i said fill out your your review forms i want to know how you're feeling about everything and i asked you these big questions like what don't you want to do in your role anymore and what motivates you 
and you were in a bad mood you hadn't eaten it's 3 p.m and you went i fucking ate everything and everyone here and you you get reviews that are like that you get ideas that are like that because they happen in the moment Mm. so when you review your mentality over the course of a month you get real data and i would say to anybody before moaning okay because everyone hates the fact that all these generations are moaning (laughs) let's let's start with ourselves and go okay right is this true data what what is genuinely draining me now okay i've reviewed myself for a month and i've worked out i really fucking hate meetings particularly ones that i don't need to be in things could be an email right so the next place that i go to need to have their communication nailed down and i'm actually going to ask it in my interview questions right number two i hate being spoken over i hate disempowerment they ask me to think wildly i think wildly they tell me it's shit and don't give me any feedback so i know for my next boss, mm. whoever it is, they need to be able to be good at giving feedback, good at listening, good at suggesting, uh, good at trusting. And so you'll do this, okay, and you'll have this awareness of yourself. And although that might not turn on a lot of people that you interview with, good, because if it doesn't, you'll know they're not the right person for you to go and work Um. So yeah, one of the things I was going to say is that, like, be brutal. When, whenever you go on to interview anywhere next, it is a two-way street. Make sure you're asking questions like, what's got in the way of good work? Okay, or like, tell me dream situation. What kind of campaign would you love to do? What are you jealous of right now? Is it the uncommon stuff? Okay, right. So why haven't you done that? Who do you think or what has got in the way of amazing work being created? And I'd go quiet. I'd go do the seven seconds of silence trick where you ask a question. (laughs) It's such a beautiful way of putting it. Because it sounds so wholesome and human and friendly, but it's also essentially you're going, have better data before you make decisions. Yeah, that's totally it. Or or have better data about yourself before you make yourself somebody else's problem. I think we do that in relationships, right? We go, you've made me feel angry, but actually it's not that. It's the fact that you haven't done X, Y, and Z, which is kind of triggered some thing that you don't know about from my childhood and da, 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 da. it's almost like being intimidated like you're you're if someone's not being intimidating you are intimidated by them and you have to figure out how how that works but it's such an interesting point actually because it is i i think about this often um because obviously there are there are parts of of the industry that that are very keen on behavioral science and xyz um but i think it's always very interesting that even though we work in communications, fundamentally what we do is communicate a message. Um, we're quite bad at human to human communication a lot of the time. Like that understanding of, okay, someone's got pissed off in a meeting. There's probably a reason. It's not because it's not, it's not just they're being a dick. Like sometimes it's, but it's probably not. There's probably a reason. There's some kind of backstory there. And who was I? T- I was talking to someone recently, and they'll be sad because I absolutely can't remember who it was because I talked too much. Um, no, I lie. I know who it was. I was talking to Aunt Jackson um, of uh, Space Agency, and she was saying that one of the best things that you can do um, in in a meeting sometimes when someone's having like quite a strong reaction is just say, "I'm surprised by that. Can you tell me a bit more?" Be- and I was like you're a fucking genius because it doesn't it doesn't put any judgment on their reaction it doesn't say that was a good reaction or that's a bad reaction you're saying that they are acting outside of their norm and you're noticing that and you're in a caring way going 
do you want to tell me why that is? And they might not want to tell you, and that's absolutely yeah. fine. But I just thought that was such a lovely, humane way of of dealing with what can be tense, tense situations. Love that. I also, I like the, the changing from I or you to it. So it seems, you know, then you're like, I, I always say to people, sit on a park bench with them and look out into a field and discuss a situation rather than you, 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 or me. And, you know, it seems like you have, you know, blah, 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 whatever the thing is that you're saying. And I think when you move like from, you're going to a noun, aren't you? Of a situation rather than somebody's actions and behaviors and therefore their personality that is now coming into question. Yeah, I like that. It surprises me. It, it surprises me that you say that. Um, yeah, no, it depersonalize it a bit, which in ironically Makes in that situation or in, it's just more personal. <laughs> it's it's just making that space for that person to to fill it how they need to fill it but doing it in, in, I guess, a more gentle way that still acknowledges that maybe they need to consider how, how they've said something. I don't know. I thought it was, thought it was genius. Um, luckily, I haven't had to use it yet, but um, I'm very, I'm like oddly excited for someone to have a surprise reaction because I'll be like, I'm surprised. Um, <laughs> but moving on a smidge, so kind of back to our core theme of, of side quests. And we've kind of touched on this throughout but i've found talking to some of the lovely folks that we've that we've spoken to we the royal we i i have spoken to some of the lovely folk i have spoken to <laughs> um is that many of us um who are multidisciplinary or or lean towards um the idea of multidisciplinary is that we all have this really curious nature and this really curious nature is, I think, part of what makes us creative, for, for one. And two, it does tend to lead us on these side quests, these tangents and, and different little goals that we have along the way, and often then deviations from the norm. And sometimes they are work relevant. But in a long-term sense, what what value specifically do you think there is in that? And have you seen any interesting examples of that? And do you have any watch outs? Because I think I've definitely thought about it before in terms of, okay, well, if I'm going on these little side quests and I'm like, oh, I could go and do that project in my spare time over there and also do this at work. I'm like, okay, well, is that the best way to achieve my end goal? It, you can you can worry about losing focus. And I'm just interested on in what you've what you felt about that. Yeah, again, I'm going to go back to the thing I said earlier, which is asking yourself, which part of you is it for? Um, and, and like, what's going to keep you going? What, what, what's the point in doing that thing? Because what you don't want to have, right? Okay, I think it's amazing to try a load of things. But what you don't want to have is a whole load of 10% finished projects or hobbies or, you know, skills that you've thought, oh, I felt this. Fine, go and try a load of things, but like, stick with one at least for a long time, even when it gets kind of boring, stick with it. Um, whether it's the side hustle or whatever, get yourself from a point of start and finish is the main thing I would say on that is where we got to with Good Brains. I think that was probably one of the more successful side things that we did. Um, you know, and and hey, we made a load of money for charities. We um, even hired a managing director and, you know, invested quite a lot of money in this thing. And then we got to the finishing point where I was like, I know 
that this is not the right thing to pursue right now because of the energy that I feel when I'm doing it after giving it a real year and a half slog. Um, energy is important and and having something that really drains you. It's like the, doing those Duolingo classes that you said in January that you're going to do. Um, you know, if, if, you, if, you're, if you didn't in the whole year get a feeling of uh, satiation or, or happiness that you're doing this thing, like, oh my God, I just, I literally just had a chat with a Spanish person. I said a few things. That never happened to you in the year and you really tried, fine. You tried it, it didn't work for you, move on. And I think some people with these side things can take on loads and do none. That's the worst. Uh, or take on one and keep on doing it, even though they've never enjoyed it, but it makes them sound cool and different. I would say like there is a lovely happy medium where you have a good balance of challenge and um and completion and like validation that come out of the whatever it is, whether it's a business, a hobby, you know, a creative endeavor, whatever it is. And I think that's important. The energy you feel, and if you're actually any good at it and you're getting a nice feeling when you're doing this thing, I've done quite a few things that I've have not felt nice. <laughs> and um, I've kind of pretended to keep on doing them because they made me sound what I thought cool, but it wasn't. It was just a waste of time and energy. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's that's one of my favorite pieces of advice, actually. Thank you for that. Um so on a more practical level, slightly less philosophical and um psychological, for for our listeners most of us i imagine are kind of polymath type folk um how would you recommend kind of positioning having a range of skills when you are either looking for a, for a new role a new job or or just looking for progression when you are talking to that ecd that we were talking about earlier who's just like well you just haven't done 500 print campaigns so you physically don't know anything um and you're like but i want to leave at six and have sleep um what 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 is a place that you think that we can kind of position ourselves in the middle when and if we don't obviously have the wonderful unknown to to help us oh my goodness, along with that? That would be a tragedy uh, if that was ever the case. So, um, and it probably is the case because everyone's very busy and running around and I wish everyone could work with everyone, but we simply haven't got enough time to do that. Um, but I'm trying to, we're getting better at that. Anyway, what would I do in the polymath fang? Again, like them speaking your language, speak their language too, is what I would say. So what you tend to see from creatives or strategists or whatever is they'll list all of their hobbies and interests to make them sound like this wired, weird, wonderful being, right? And it will be like, yeah, I'm a cook. Yeah, I know Spanish. Yeah, I've been to space. Yeah, I know rocket science. Blah, 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 blah. And I only identify as a strategist. So you get the whole thing with me. That's cool. Very good. And I'm glad that you've managed to list all the hobbies because some of them are remarkable. Wow. Going to space before 30, that is incredible. But that would be dope. That would be amazing. Speak their language, right? So if you are um, bilingual in three languages, you know, I know Spanish and French and therefore have written campaigns in these languages or, you know, my tapestry thing. I've always imagined, wouldn't it be cool if we can get a brand to buy this? Like, and even, even if you haven't done the work, hyperlink a TikTok campaign or hyperlink is a Pinterest board where... Your interest or your thing that makes you a polymath person can commercially make sense to an ECD where they're going, fuck me, this person's got idea after idea. That's interesting. What isn't probably interesting for anyone that's hiring somebody is to get a list of shit that you're interested in that they're not. 
And that's almost, again, it's like externalizing all of the shit that's important to you to someone that doesn't care and doesn't have much time. So I would, I would say hyperlink and um, literally and practically hyperlink all the things that make you unique in a commercial sense to the stuff that they would probably sell to someone that's buying it and paying for essentially your salary. It's essentially, um, think about your target audience and then write for them. Yeah. And then, but then more that, more than that, right? Think about their target audience mm. because, you know, they're, at the end of the day, they need you to be able to speak for them to Nike or Argos or whatever brand it is, McBitties. So, you know, I'm from... I, you know, I played the piano. Imagine if we could do, imagine if we can get my videos to do this or da, 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 da. imagine if we could, da, 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 da. like just by labeling it out and kind of like speaking about how interesting or how your brain goes further than just you mm. is kind of what I'm trying to say is that I think in this age of narcissism, <laughs> um, we're seeing a ton of people going like, I am just the most unicorn, unique human being in the world. And isn't that fantastic? I actually identify as integrated creative and that's new. So look at all my other hobbies. That's wicked. But give me some interesting context around the shit that I do day to day that makes you interesting for what I'm doing. Mm. I love that. That is the most perfect piece of advice Um Thank you so much. Thanks. I think that probably comes out of frustration. <laughs> you know, I have to say this all the time. <laughs> no, but also hyperlinks, highly underrated. Yeah. Let's give some hyperlinks. So you you have a methodology at Unknown, um, one that you talk about understanding nuances. And I'm, I'm interested, so essentially same question from the other perspective. What is it that organisations and leadership teams can do to support people with with multiple skills and disciplines and and how can they speak our language i guess for lack of a better term yeah it's a really good question and to be honest that's i think that's where the struggle is the hard bit <laughs> yeah it is the hard bit and funnily enough we're doing a um we're doing a day with hyper island on the 13th i'm gonna invite you to it Opal. i think you should come along if you're in england at that point i'm sure um, i will be it sounds great already okay great well what we're doing we're calling it nobody wants to work for you and we're inviting loads of CTOs and ECTs along. And then 25%, we always work to that ratio of 75% of what you're expecting, 25% of what you weren't. The room will be filled with mainly ECDs, CCOs, whatever they're called. And then they're going to have 25% people like you. Weirdos, who, yeah. Yes, <laughs> weird, psychopathic humans. Uh, <laughs> no, but talent, okay. And people that... I think the industry should be really interested in, in hiring. And we want you to say to them what makes their practices unattractive to work for, because it, it's not just one way. And so judging on 100% of the humans that I've invited, all being in CEO positions saying yes, that says to me that there is definitely some awareness and accountability on their side. It's just that they don't know where to start with redesigning what they currently have to fit for purpose people like you. Um, and I know that the good leaders that will do well in the next the next 10 years are the ones that use these ears they have more than their mouth um, by asking when they interview people, what do you want? What's going to light you up? And I think that's what they can do better. And I think that's what they're beginning to really do and be really honest because they can't lie. Like you can't, you can say to someone, yeah, you can do your side projects here. Like 25% of your job is going to be like really cool. And then you get there and you find out you can't. 
within two months you'll be like hey this is what i sign up for you do you remember what we said in the interview and then you've completely um, lost trust as well which is such an important yeah the part. trust is dead they get a chance to go yeah i, I know it's not been great and here's what i'm going to try and do i think this client's going to have some stuff coming up and da, 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 da. they get another chance but typically what they probably should have done is go oh, did i really need someone that had that many other skills or, mm. or should i have asked how important those things were to them or was it like an interview flex because don't forget not everyone with the side hustle actually wants to do that in your agency yeah they might just want to do that on their own and actually not have it anything to do with your agency so it could just be an interview flex when they're being like yeah i've got this thing but like I'm, i know that my job is to make advertising i feel like it's an obvious thing to say but I still believe that honesty is firmly underrated, especially in like the hiring process. Yeah. If we could, if we could just be honest with one another, can you imagine the world that we would build? That would be it. That would be to. And do you know what? Some of our best clients are really honest, and our, our talent is as well. Which because we're trying to say to them both, don't lie. It's it doesn't work for us. If you know anything about recruitment, if your person leaves within the first three months, you don't make any money really anyway. So like the worst thing that could happen to a recruiter is your person gets hoodwinked into a role that is really shit. They start, they hate it, they leave. Like the amount of work that's gone in pre-surge, during, and then at the end that gets wasted because they weren't truthful is painful. So yeah. And the only way you're going to get there is the person's interview. If you get the second stage, or maybe even first, if you if I, if you're feeling brave, ask them what is the dullest part of this job. Like, tell me what is the bit that is dreadful, <laughs> because we might as well be honest about that. Like, there's not, and I I always ask this when I interview, you know, on the on the employer side, I always say things like, "What if you could delete one part of your job? What would it be?" Be and be really honest. And I don't want you to say like, "Oh, I wish I could delete me feeling like a perfectionist." No, not acceptable. Or I wish I could delete working so hard. No, <laughs> not that one. Tell me admin, or tell me you don't like meeting people actually, and you prefer to be making work. Tell me the stuff that you don't like doing, so we can get this job to be focused around the stuff that you do like doing. And ideally, asking you to do less of that shit because, Lord knows, the amount of times we've hired somebody or brought somebody even into unknown and said like this is quite an administratively heavy role is that cool with you and they've gone yeah I fucking love spreadsheets oh my god i've got so many highlighters in my drawers terrible hate admin and they're unhappy right because and so then but what you know i because i'm obsessed about this needs thing i'm like well okay like, let's redesign this role and what what happens to, to me and in the business at that point is you end up having a new head sometimes it's a great thing that's happened you find out that they didn't they're not right for the job that you originally hired for, but way better for another job. But most of the time, you still have that fucking gap. And so what ends up happening to lots of creative departments is these hoodwinked creatives all focus on the 10% of what gets generated by the agency and all ignoring the 90% of car-swirling ads that they probably should do to keep their jobs. Mm, mm. And I, I, what I love about your approach and why I'm I, I'm so excited to have, have had this chance to talk with you, it's like... In, in my opinion, like largely I've interviewed, you know, strategy directors, creative directors, etc. But at the very beginning of every pod, I say, you know, in other words, art, science and logic, because that's what I think it is. And much of what you've said today is kind of taking a more scientific eye on, ironically, the art of 
living and the art of being who you are and going, okay, let's, let's expand what data we have. Let's look at it logically. Let's go, am I fulfilling XYZ need in XYZ place? And it sounds really obvious, but that's how you know it's really good. Like when it sounds obvious, once you've said it, you're like, fuck, I wish I thought of that. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's brilliant. And, and that, that, that is, that is where the whole kind of podcast idea comes from, because I think, you know, creatives will benefit from the stuff that you've been saying. It's not necessarily like your traditional strategic thinking, or it's not necessarily, um, you know, creative advice about how to like keep your you haven't explicitly said this is how to keep your creativity going, but everything you've said will is 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 a lesson that people can apply to empower themselves and be happier in themselves, and that does feed your creativity. It's not just straight A to B. Yeah, and hopefully have some confidence in not taking shit jobs because it's. I think I, I'm <laughs> one thing I would say like, if I could make sure everyone does focus on is like having the the radical honesty when they interview with people and there are some great questions which I'm really happy to share which I try and get the guys to ask people um some of it's good like positive stuff like you know you can ask things like what work makes you jealous and you know what you can even ask that in an interview it's like it's not it's not um obscure to ask the question like what is the business problem that this hire is solving like these are good questions to ask and they make you look like more of a commercially minded creative which i think everybody should be aiming to be yeah and and then like you you could there will be time to get into the wouldn't it be cool if this tiktok you know da, 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 da. but it's much more impressive and also allows for less opaqueness when you join the agency or when you accept the job if you just get to the truth of the commercial reason this hire is happening without my tombstone it's, we might have to just cut that down just a smidgen for the tombstone, but I'll oh, take it. Fine, yeah, I'm more <laughs> concise, but I'm not very good at getting it. Same. Um, no, that's actually perfect because my last question is normally, what What do you think about my theory that creatives need strategy and can make better use of it? But you've kind of answered it there. In if we use logic as strategy, you've gone, you've answered it. So I think that's a wonderful place for us to wrap up. So thank you so much. It's been such a good conversation. I'm so happy and thankful that you that you made time to come on with us. So thank you for coming on. 